Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 2nd, 2011. For newcomers, you should help yourself to the audios which are available for free download at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. You'll see a bunch of sites listed there. These are the official sites I have. That's all the sites I have, in fact. Anything outside of that page isn't actually mine. So help yourself to the audios, and there's lots to learn, because I try to give you the histories and uh, the organizations which come together in our time to bring you what's called the global society, the new world order, call it what you want. It's all one and the same thing. Many branches to it, of course, and that's why people call it so many different things. They see different specialized branches. They don't realize they all work together to an old plan. It started a long time ago, long before you or your parents were born, to bring the world into a, a new management type of system for those who thought they were better equipped to manage the society of the whole planet. And that's what's been happening. Wars are all part of it, too, as things are getting standardized into the one system. Everything must be the same central banking system, privately owned uh, under the, the Bank for International Settlement. So they all belong to that one BIS group. And uh, experts will run us for the rest of our lives. And it's already happening, and everyone's adapting to it already, in fact, without knowing it. So help yourself to that. Remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you, so you can help me keep going by buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. And uh, from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use a personal check or an international postal money order, or you can use PayPal, or as some people send cash. Across the world, you've got Western Union and MoneyGram, and once again, PayPal. Straight donations are really, really welcome. But, yeah, we adapt. That's the whole thing about our species. We're the most adaptable species on the planet, according to so many uh, scientists uh, down through the ages, including Darwin himself. And, of course, they came up with the idea of survival of the fittest, which wasn't an idea at all. It was very old religion, <laughs> because uh, in ancient times knew darn well that the ones who were most likely to succeed were the ones who were the most aggressive, cunning, and wealthy. And, of course, uh, so if you bring in a money system, you have to have all, all three together to, to carry on intergenerationally. So you have um, money introduced. You, it does away with bartering. You force money upon the public through wars and occupying armies, things like that. And then you bring in the banking system. And then before you know it, everyone's adapted into working for, for money. It's like, it's like pet rats, basically, in a lab working for, for seed. They'll pull a lever to get the seed. And it never thinks, dawns on them eventually after, after a long time at this, there's a whole pile of seed next to them. No, they wait for that seed to come down the tube, just like we do. And then they tell you, of course, that you can't own that pile of seed over there or the land that it sits on. And you, you, you very quickly forget that it's actually yours. You're born on it. So that's how we adapt. And it's survival of the fittest by those who claim that they are the fittest. How do they claim that? Well, they claim that they've held on to this system for many generations. That was one of the criteria even Darwin brought up himself. He talked about societies or generations which could, could have uh, or families which could hold on to their money 
and, and power and influence for at least, at least three generations without the sons, um, going wayward and being spendthrift and blowing it all, or the daughters either for that matter. And also, not just selective breeding, but special breeding. In other words, choose very, very carefully that through genealogy, your partners, and you would have the better offspring. That's what they believed. And Darwin himself was a product of that because the Darwin family already had been only breeding into one other family, the Wedgwoods, for quite a few generations before him and during his time and after him as well. So that's really how it, how it, the system works. And of course, when you look at many, many books uh, in science and biology and of course the evolutionary theory, which is in everything, you realize that they have specialized branches in everything. Back with more after this break. I'm back, cutting through the matrix and just touching on really the ideology behind the system that you're, we're now into. And it's worldwide, as I say. Uh, we always think we've got choices in uh, the way things are presented to us by press, media, and even voting. But in reality, there's only one agenda. There really isn't another agenda. And even when you see communism versus capitalism, you have to go into your history and you find out really it comes from the same people. The same banking boys came up with both. The Hegelian dialectic, they called it at the time. And the public, of course, was, were never to figure out. Most of them never do figure out. That's how the thing works with left and right. And then they have their, their synthesis basically along the end. So we, we go through this process all the time, right down to where it comes to time to vote. Even though, even though, um, every president, prime minister across the world, pretty well, Western world, has been a member of this one organization. Uh, since the late 1800s. We still think we've got party politics. It's, it's such a joke, such an awful joke. And we adapt, as I say, we adapt through for, for different reasons, mainly because most folk are either um, at the bottom, they're scurrying and worrying and working maybe two or three jobs to get by, or if they're not working and they're exhausted and they're partying like crazy or they're zonked in front of the television set or they're taking drugs, whatever it is that gives them some kind of peace in this day and age. And um, because of that, they don't want to have serious news, serious, inter- uh, serious involvement in thinking deeply about the whys of things. Most of them take it for granted it just is. And so that's what they'll tell you if, if you ask them any questions. Well, it, it is because it is. It's the system you're living in. That's just the way it is. It never dawns on them. They've never even thought about how it got to be this way at all. And most will go to their graves never, ever figuring it out either. And for those who do start figuring it out too, they feel rather helpless generally because there, there's nothing to read. How do you change the system? How do you, how do you change a monolithic system uh, that has been here for an awful long time that runs on the one thing that controls everything, which is money, because it creates money out of nothing basically. It doesn't matter how it creates it. The fact is it's got it all. Even if it just arrows, it adds a whole bunch of zeros to uh, behind a number and it puts it on a computer, is if that's legal, it's legal, as far as you're concerned at the top. They have it all. And with that money, you buy power, you buy, you, you can sink countries overnight if they don't go along with you. You can just crash your stock market. And um, you can make them borrow from you too. Once they're borrowing from you, you own the country. That's what Rothschild said uh, quite a few times, actually, in different speeches. He said the same darn thing. And people still think he was just being whimsical. But no, he was being deadly serious. 
Uh, same thing, too, happened with all the crashes we've had, the planned crashes in the U.S., Canada, and elsewhere uh, in the last few years. All in queue. Uh, the rules were allowed to go at it for a long time with no regulation, knowing darn well they'd accumulate all these bubbles, and it was just time to pop the bubbles. They didn't lose anything. That money didn't disappear into money heaven. It went somewhere else under lock and key, and then, of course, the public went and bailed them out again. And we take it all for granted because, as I say, you don't get the bill personally every month sent to you. None of, none of us do. If we did, we'd say, well, then why on earth would you keep voting the same system back in? If you saw what you're signed down to pay off and your children for about 10 generations from henceforth, I mean, it's just incredible. It's all called chronology. Chronology. And getting back to what I said too, Darwin really kicked off a big, a big, um, debate at the time. Part of the problem of the whole purpose of Darwin actually was to help eradicate the last vestiges of what they called Christianity, which was, was an enemy of them because it stood for a different set of values which wouldn't allow them to get what they wanted unless they could get rid of it. And Darwin came along and did just that, so much so that Karl Marx wanted to dedicate uh, his, I think, second or third um, uh, edition of his his major book uh, to Darwin, because he said that Darwin validated the theory or science of of Marxism or communism, as he wanted to, to, to call it at the time. So you understand we're living in a system which has been devised from the top down, and that the changes we have at the bottom are all uh, agreed upon by those at the top. In ancient times, Plato said the same thing, that culture came from the top down. Uh, why would it ever be any different? It will always be uh, allowed. Anything you do at the bottom is allowed from the top. Nothing really is allowed from the grassroots unless it's okayed from the top. And when I was small, young, I used to wonder why the BBC kept on putting, uh, they were the avant-garde really uh, for all things kind of risque, you might say, on television since they had the only channel that you could get. And so they had a captive audience and uh, they were pushing uh, the drugs at the time. They'd bring on various rock stars that would fall off their chairs and everybody would have a, a, a little tee-hee-hee laugh about it, so aren't we naughty type of thing. And they pushed, of course, the cultural disintegration through uh, the the ever-increasing degradation they showed you as entertainment. So the BBC is government-owned. Everybody in it at that time had to belong to Eton. You couldn't get a job in the BBC unless you'd been to Eton at that time. Uh, And so here's the upper crust giving you full degradation and drugs. And the people at the bottom thought they were creating it all. This is our generation. He even came up with a song about it, talking about my generation, to make the folk think at the bottom really was theirs. And that, and that there were rebels. What a joke. What a joke. We're so easily conned because we're kept in ignorance. Utter, utter ignorance of the way things really are and have been in the past. If you don't understand the past, you'll never understand the present. And those who own the past own the present and the future, obviously. So we're going through the biggest changes, as as I said, many, many times. Uh, Rockefeller has said it himself uh, back in the the 80s, even in 90s, uh, talking about this change that we're going through now. They also knew that technology was going to be given to the public to really do a number on their brains, which it certainly has. But it wasn't just to do that. It was also to make sure that everyone could be monitored in real time, full time, 24 hours per day. And that's happened. We're here. 
were here. Once again, the one who reminds because folk adapt. Folk adapt. How many articles have you heard, heard on this particular uh, radio station on uh, from mainstream again, uh, from the big boys, even the owners of the companies that give you the computers, give you the iPhones, give you all the different types of phones. How many times has it been read to you that they're following and tracking and tracing everything that you do in a darn thing? And yet how many of you actually remember that you know, five minutes later? It's like having a, it's like being taught or, or brought up with a walking cane. You can't do without it if you've been brought up with it. And that's how they are. Well, I've got to use it. I've got to have it with me at all times. Really? Really? What did people do without Before they had all that. Before they had it, 24 hours 7. They used to go to the bathroom in peace, actually, you know. They, they go to grocery stores, and that's what they would buy is groceries. And, uh, you know, people used to talk to each other, too, in, you know, real, real time and real person. And uh, you don't see that much anymore. So much so that youngsters have, and many studies have been done on this, youngsters have a hard time making on eye contact with other people now. They're used to texting people. They get all embarrassed when they actually have to face people and communicate. They still have their phones in their hands staring at them, you know. So we are adapting and we're also disabled at the same time. There's so many articles out there today. I was just looking at so many of them, where, all from the government uh, sources, telling you how wonderful it is uh, that we're going into the next phase of the technological revolution and how old-fashioned the, the ideas of Orwell were with Big Brother. Ah, ha, ha, we've all accepted it. It's wonderful to be observed all the time. I'm not, not kidding you. We pay for these ads from our taxes to be brainwashed so that the governments can be even more intrusive than they already are. And they're training us now that it's all quite natural and that there's more to come. And we should actually want more. Observation, security, etc., etc. It's just amazing. And people think they're going to fight this thing by talking about it. Please, government, stop what you're doing. Please, signed so and so. This is just amazing. And we've watched the, the, again, the, the guys at the top, the top bankers, the guys who've been doing this for centuries and centuries, rip off country after country, no jail sentences, no nothing. Meanwhile, the jails are full of people who've forgotten a few bucks on their taxes who get slammed inside. And these characters at the top with their private jets and everything else. The guys who say, by the way, they're doing God's work. Remember that came out? No one asked them what God they were talking about. What is this deity they're talking about? They're doing God's work. They're they're crashing the economies and doing God's work. You better look into these things. They're awfully important. Awfully important. And you also ask, why didn't the people who were presiding over the inquiries ask them that same question? What's this, what are you talking about? What's this God what? And get them to explain it. Things are done in the, out in the open, but the public never ask the questions, never think to. We're, we actually are waiting for the media to ask the questions for us, to do a reasoning for us, as Brzezinski says. Sad, isn't it? Sad. I've mentioned before many times too, the most folk um, who think they're waking up, because waking up is a long process, believe you me, isn't just a, like a religious conversion. It might start that way, but you've got an awful lot to learn. But the first thing you do is run off and say, here's the information, and you think they're going to change the world. But it doesn't work that way. Because people choose 
where they, what they want to believe and where they want to belong in their headspace. And if they really understand what you're saying, you've just put a burden on them they didn't have before, before you opened your mouth. That's why they get uneasy in your presence. Because if, you, if, if you're telling the truth and, and you're proving you're telling the truth, the onus is then on them to do something about it. Even change themselves personally and what they do. And they don't like that. They don't like ha- having that in, in a socialist system where the media reinforces nightly, daily and nightly, uh, that these professionals are dealing with all the big, heavy, witty problems of the world, and you shouldn't even bother your little head about it. Leave it to them. Go and play. You see? That's what socialism is. They don't like you saying, hey, you have to do something about it, because these guys ain't at the top. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and you know, I can remember even in the 90s on various Patriot radio stations, uh, people at that time were far more willing to get off their, their duffs, as you call it, and they'd even go out and pay cash to have things photocopied and they'd put stuff in, under car window, on, on the windshields and so on, just spreading the message, they were active, active, and it takes a long time to get people active and actually doing that kind of thing on their own own basis, own personal basis. Uh, today, because of this mass communication, mass media, mass everything, people wait for everyone else to do something for them. They think just chatting about it on the net is going to actually do it, instead of having little meetings and all the rest of it, because you've got to get that, that big uh, uh, snowball up and running and, and gradually moving forwards. And it takes a lot of impetus to get it started. It can be lost very quickly at the same time. Because it's involvement of people that changes things eventually. It's a dynamic. It has to be put in motion and it's, ta- it's got a steadily roll. But at that time too, but even just in the 90s, you had people who got indignant about things. Today, it's hard for most folk to feel indignancy about anything because we're all being degraded very quickly now, by the way, as time goes on through the entertainment industry, through the images that flash across screens all the time or the computer. And there's hardly even a decent story you can read from the mainstream now that doesn't have a list of almost porn down the right-hand side of it. It's disgusting. You try to keep your mind on what you're doing. You're reading serious stuff about folk getting blown up and killed and all the rest of it across the world. And, and there's some little thing about bimbos and what they're wearing that day and isn't her hot pants nice. I mean, this is the stuff. This is all deliberate, you understand. It's not there by chance. This is how psychological warfare is presented to the public. It's not there by chance. Believe you me, if there was something awfully serious the government wanted to get across to you all, that wouldn't be on the right-hand page if they wanted you to get up and do something for them. It would not be there. And what it does, too, is to make everything kind of schizophrenic. The serious is, is combined with the ridiculous and the fantastical uh, until you're in a fantasia world where nothing's really real anymore. It's kind of like movie land. You've seen so many movies of slaughter and things getting blown up and all the rest of it that, that nothing motivates you and you can't get indignant about anything, which is a sad thing. But you see, psychological war- warfare is working on you. That's why you don't get indignant. That's why. 
We're the same people we were back in the 90s. It's just that the older ones are sort of dying off or giving up or whatever, and or working towards their pensions, and the younger ones are so hooked, hooked on just data in, data out, you know that uh, they can't be motivated, they can't anchor themselves on something. And a lot of them, even younger, can't even figure out why you would want to stop this particular system or divert it into another system. Because they're quite happy at the moment. At the moment, you see. Back in the 90s too, I read an article. It was from a British newspaper to show you how the world really is, because they went into, a reporter actually went into Porton Downs, uh, that's an, a base in Britain, uh, that, uh, this is equivalent in the US, of course, but at, uh, in Maryland, but they have a, that's where they did all the, the top viral and bacterial warfare engineering, basically, Porton Downs, and lots of deadly stuff came out of that place, even what they called the Q virus, it was a, um, it was first discovered when a guy who walked around the perimeter gate, the fence, uh, he got a tick bite in his ankle, and they called it the Q virus, passed on a, a virus which killed him. So I guess it worked very well. Maybe he was their experiment. But anyway, that's the kind of stuff they get up to there. And at the time, the reporter got in for an interview, and he sat with some scientists at breakfast as he yawned and uh, you know, thought about their massive salaries they're getting from the taxpayers to dream up new ways to kill folk across the world. And they were into gene-specific viruses and bacterium. Uh, that's how far advanced they were then. And they, they, they said quite openly, yeah, we can basically target anyone with this particular gene, that particular gene. Even if it was in your ancestry somewhere, you'd come down with it and that was you, gone. You know, Or they could tailor make it to such a way that, that they want a more recent gene, so it had to be up to date uh, for the ethnic group you belong to, to kill you off. They also said they could release it and it would sweep across a continent within about a week to ten days, carried by the winds, and it would kill most of the folk off. And then it was pro- they were programmed to then disintegrate themselves. Amazing, eh? Just little robots all that time ago. And we, we read these things, but again, it's unreal to us. It's too close to science fiction. And, and apart from that, who would ever do that to you? Who would ever do that to you? You understand there's, there's people who sat and planned the crashes we've had that they ended up with thousands and thousands of people and families living in tent cities. They planned that. They planned to get out with the goods too, all the cash that they stole. They planned that. The same characters will sit in, in big world banking meetings and, uh, along with governments and discuss coming wars. And how many folk they'll have to kill off here and there before our country will crumble. And how much money uh, they'll lend governments to, to get more and more weaponry, which those same banks, by the way, own, because they own the military-industrial complex companies. Because they don't themselves go in there with a knife and stick it in someone doesn't mean, them, mean they're any, any less complicit in the act. In fact, they're definitely the top murderers. And they're still in power yet. And they've done it across the world, but you think they'll never do that to you. Even though all the signs of, of, of the coming urban warfare, even in the movies been given you for 15, 20 years, they're all around you. Massive police state. And they still sing America the Beautiful, eh? Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about the elite that, who rule over us basically and uh, how we adapt to the culture we're given, which by them, and even taught to be, feel proud of it, e- even when it's changing into something 180 degrees from what it was, we're still taught to be feel proud of it. And most folk are because they adapt all the way, never noticing the changes. It's just astonishing how we adapt and accept things, isn't it? All the things that we once stood for, but we're doing the opposite, but we're still the same people. That's what we think. We're still the same. <laughs> Bertrand Russell said it too. He said that people are not logical. And because they're not logical, you could use uh, technologies on them and information technologies to warp them and then use them. Of course, that wasn't new either because Thomas Malthus knew the same thing. Malthus went on about how to kill off you know, the vast majority of useless eaters. And that's what they call us, by the way, and have for a couple hundred years or more, useless eaters, especially in a post-industrial society. They don't want us to be consumers anymore now for, for sustainability reasons. So what if they go into austerity and learn poverty and become sterile too, as they're doing their best to do that, from laboratories, like I just mentioned before, and uh, it's working very well. Most folk don't really mind. So I guess they just get old and die and have no children. Anyway... This article here is from Press TV. It ties in with the previous article, which was, I think was from the, the maybe the, the Daily Mail or, or Telegraph back in the 90s on the Port and Downs establishment. This one here is from Press TV. It says, um, the UK and the US militaries have been de- uh, developing new biological weapons which are capable of terminating certain races, a Middle Eastern expert tells Press TV. Uh, the U.S. and the U.K. military establishments even developed a black-only bomb that targeted the Afro gene. There's even talk now there may be one for the Chinese gene. That's true. That broke out from China uh, in the last flu outbreak, or the scare it was, in fact. And they actually were questioning if this was a Western-developed, uh, tinkered-with uh, uh, flu virus gene designed especially for Chinese, because they were coming down with it, especially with the SARS. It was only affecting them. So this is Peter Erie, a Middle Eastern consultant, said in a recent interview in Press TV. Erie described the sinister project as absolutely insane, adding the work on such weaponry initially started in former Rhodesia, modern-day Zimbabwe, by the UK government, but was then transferred to South Africa by then-UK Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher when the former British colony declared independence. The analysts went on to say that the U.S. and U.K. have not only amassed huge stockpiles of biological and chemical weapons, but also provided dictatorial regimes around the world to use and develop such lethal weapons. That is true. That is true. It's so amazing when they show you the old clips. And I remember when Donald Rumsfeld went over to give Saddam Hussein, actually gave to the Iranians and, and, and uh, Saddam Hussein's bunch in Iraq, the same weaponry, and it was a poisonous gas. And you actually have, the, there's actually documentaries up on YouTube, still I hope they are anyway, where you'll see Rumsfeld going there and shaking hands with the guys and Saddam himself and uh, signing the deal. All in your name, by the way, you know, when you don't even know what's going on half the time. Hasn't changed today what's going on. Anyway, it says that um, the U.S. and U.K. will not have a master stockpile uh, but also provided dictatorial regimes around the world to use and develop them. The United States and the United Kingdom were behind uh, providing Iraq, Saddam Hussein, with chemical biological weapons during the Iran-Iraq conflict. 
and the UK actually paid for the laboratories to be established in Iraq and helped them, the former Iraqi regime, to produce that, Erie said. Ralph Schoenman, a California-based political commentator, also told Press TV that the Pentagon has also been weaponizing genomes and viral agents in the level four and five laboratories in the U.S. Schoenman further stated that such weapons are either sold to repressive regimes or are deployed in operations against countries Washington wants to destabilize. The Chemical Weapons Convention, which prohibits the development and production, stockpiling and use of chemical weapons, called on member states to destroy all stockpiles of banned substances by April 29, 2007. However, the U.S. has announced it will not be able to destroy its stockpile of chemical weapons before a final deadline required by the CWC in 2012, saying it needs at least another decade to destroy the weapons. There's so much being gathered. It's just incredible. But that's only one country, as Britain's got it true. I'm sure France and other ones have their own uh, staff, and so does the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union, in fact, had leaks at one point and killed all the staff around a couple of these places it was making it. But uh, that's the world you're living in. That's where real evil people pretend uh, awfully well to themselves, obviously, or their psychopaths pretend that they're doing all this to protect you. But then above them you have the real masters of the world who are making sure that the world goes in the direction like the Georgia Guidestones say, where they'll vastly reduce the world's population down to what they call a manageable level, very, very small level. They won't need all of us anymore. And I'll be left to all the elites, you know, the, the better bred ones who, who've really had, you know, a bunch of very high-type priest-type characters go through their genealogies and mate them up with the right kind of women from the right kind of families and backgrounds. So they're all, you know, ancient conquerors and, and, and acquisitors. They acquire all the time uh, vast amounts of money, power, wealth, and influence. That's the better type we're talking about, right along what Darwin was prattling on about back in his day. Quite something. And, and we're getting turned into, basically, what? We're, we're getting turned into... It's, it's like products such as supermarket... We've all got our little social insurance numbers. We all have our special uh, numbers to do with our computers. Uh, we're numbered for everything. And folk don't mind. We don't mind so much for getting numbered. In the British National Health Service now, they've just announced they're going to barcode all the patients. No kidding. Barcoding all, all the patients. Isn't that nice, eh? Eh? Isn't that wonderful? You get your barcodes. Instead of wasting cash in all these so-called time savers and money savers by spending millions on the companies that sell you all the, all the gizmos and gadgetry for barcodes, why don't they just open up wards? Huh? Well, they don't want to do that. You see, they don't want to help you live. That's why they've been closing them all down. You know, there's top surgeons in, in Britain now left and resigned in disgust because of all the massive cutbacks in the National Health Service. Because, you see, they've got to make sure that the euro stays afloat and they must integrate Europe even further by throwing more money into the European Central Banking System, the private bank, the big, big private bank over there. Amazing, eh? So everyone has to suffer as we, we go into uh, this suicidal way of saving other countries from sinking by bankrupting everyone else in the process so that we can integrate it. In other words, it's working exactly as it's supposed to work. This is all how they do it. It's how they do it. 
But Europe's debt crisis, the European Central Bank, it just rolls off your tongue now like it's always been there eh, for like thousands of years. The ECB, you know. Hints at help pending Eurozone integration. France wants the European Central Bank to buy bonds. Germany wants greater fiscal discipline to be anchored in Eurozone treaties. And the European Central Bank chief Mario Draghi uh, hinted on Thursday that both might get their way. But treaty changes must come first. And the treaties are for total integration. No more national sovereignty is what it's all about. That's what it means. Someone called me a couple of days ago about that pertinent question. Are, you know, is, is this what's happening? Are they on track with this, on time, on schedule? Absolutely. To the, uh, the most folk in the countries who are hanging out their pensions with their skin and their teeth, maybe a lot of them have lost them already. Uh, they're, they're, they're hoping they can fix something by throwing money to save all the countries. Who are they borrowing all the money from? They're borrowing it from the same private banks who own their central banking system that lends it to the government to bail out to their countries. Round circle. Can't lose, eh? So anyway, they want total integration of Europe now. So again, they use chaos to bring in their order. Utter chaos. The boys at the top lose nothing at all. They've been at this for an awful long time. They're not stupid. And then Merkel, of course, in Germany, also calls for Eurozone uh, fiscal union. Total monetary union. That also means that the IMF and the European Central Bank will have total access to, and do the bookkeeping for every ex-nation's books, by the way. That's what that means. So Angela Merkel has told the, the Bundestag that the Eurozone sovereign debt crisis will take years to resolve. She said the Eurozone needed a new stability union with tighter fiscal controls. They all say the same thing because they all belong to the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations. Quite something, eh? Meanwhile, when you're back home too and you're wondering why things are so expensive and uh, and uh, and yet the entertainment keeps coming, the ads are still there, it's kind of schizophrenic, everything's happy, 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 according to television. Uh, meanwhile, folk are, more folk are ending up on the streets than ever before. There's still folk losing their homes because of the last crash. No one cares about them. This is winter time, folks. You know? Same in Britain, same elsewhere, all over the place. But no one cares about that because bad news. And we don't like bad news. We like to be up and, and and happy, happy, don't we? Be happy, yeah. I mean, I read an article back in the summer. I think it was two hundred million dollars for the for the US was spending over in the Middle East and Afghanistan for their air conditioning. You know, for the for the guys with the the tin stars on their hats. You know, the the, the higher ups there. But you know, the US government has been involved with high mafia for, it's, I think it's beginning, personally. That's what I think. I really think it has. Because it's, it's always been involved with, with these, these outsourced gangs. Outsourcing is just giving your cash or your contract to a gang, you understand. And the US was doing it even with the Pinkertons in the Civil War. Pinkerton himself was a disgusting character who started off his job his career, literally hiding in trash cans and stuff, listening to folk talk. Anyway, the U.S. awards $300 million fuel contract, a fuel contract, to a secretive company. The Pentagon has awarded a fuel contract worth over $300 million to supply its Manus Air Base in 
Kyrgyzstan to a corporation that is currently under investigation by the U.S. Congress. Doesn't that sound, you know, paradoxical? The U.S. Congress is is investigating the, 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 this this deal, and the Pentagon's awarded the same crooks the fuel contract. The company won't disclose its ownership. It won't disclose its ownership. It's like that guy, you know, well, we won't open our books in the Federal Reserve. We won't open our books to anybody. No, you know, God's work. But there's speculation the family of ousted Kyrgyzstan uh, President uh, Kayayev may be involved. The director of the Central on Peace and Liberty at Independent Institute, Ivan Eland, considers a possibility that the U.S. has turned a blind eye to corrupt deals to keep its air base in Kyrgyzstan operating. So it's okay as long as it's part of your schedule or your course. They'll deal with any thug, hood, hood or, or gang. And, uh, and meanwhile, too, they've, they've still got their propaganda going up full blast at home, calling the same things with Iran. Oh, the gang that run Iran and the gang that runs Syria. What utter liars and hypocrites, eh? Here they are in bed with every dictator across the planet. They're using your money to do it, too. Now, you know, a long time ago, too, we had many big top people working in world organizations planning this present time, and they all talked about having us all on some kind of medication by this time, pharmacology of some kind. And, of course, Brave New World came out, the book Brave New World. Soma was a drug. It doesn't matter how, how abysmal life got or, or depressing it got. You got some Soma, you got a whiff of that, and you were quite happy. And you worked hard and didn't bother about anything. And they talked about that. So they talked about this putting this stuff in our, in our water and our food, etc. As, as, as Bertrand Russell says, many others have said since. Lithium, of course, is one they want to put in your water. And uh, they've used it in other countries before and it calms the people down. And they've also already got the other stuff they put in for your, supposedly for your teeth and your water supply anyway. So they've been doing what they said to do, you see. It's just that they pretend that they've, they need, oh, it's all a surprise when it comes to the surface. We didn't know that was in, we didn't know that bisphenol A was in the tin can. We didn't know we were turning into women. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Just, oh, surprise, eh? Alcohol substitute that avoids drunkenness and hangovers is in development. An alcohol substitute that mimics its pleasant buzz without leading to drunkenness and hangovers is being developed by scientists. You know that great white-coated priesthood? They just call them scientists now or experts, and we all just bow our heads and accept the trash that they give us. It says, um, the new substance could have the added bonus of being switched off instantaneously with a pill to allow drinkers to drive home or return to work. The synthetic alcohol being de- developed from chemicals related to, to Valium, <laughs> well, that's a really easy-going drug, Valium, right? works like alcohol and nerves in the brain that provide a feeling of well-being and relaxation. But unlike alcohol, it does not affect other parts of the brain that control mood swings and lead to addiction. Well, I'll tell you, Valium is one hell of an addictive drug. But it says here that... Um, uh, It'd be much easier to flush out of the body. Finally, because it's much more focused in its effects, it can be switched off with an antidote, leaving the drinker immediately sober. The new alcohol is being developed by a team at Imperial College London, led by Professor David Nutt, Britain's top drugs expert, who recently sacked as a government advisor for his comments about cannabis and ecstasy. So, in other words, if they can't use other drugs, they'll simply make it for your booze, and you'll be quite happy with that, no doubt. Because the people are always pretty happy with what's given to them at the bottom. That gives them a happy, happy feeling in the middle of misery. 
And isn't that what it is? You're looking for something to just get you out of your misery for a while. That's what it really is. Now, another article ties in with that. The American Dream, it says, 18 crazy facts which show that no nation on earth is more doped up on prescription drugs than America is. Anyone that comes to visit America may notice that most of us talk, walk around like a bunch of zombies. Well, the truth is that this is because about half of us are completely doped up on prescription drugs. In America, we don't just uh, take pills if we're sick. In this day and age, the pharmaceutical companies have come up with a pill for just about everything. If we're feeling a little sad, we are told to just pop a pill. If we're feeling a bit of pain, we're told to pop a pill. If our children like to run around and play, we are told that giving them a pill will settle them down. That's your that's all the ones to give for children. Every single year, prescription drug use in America increases, and there are dozens of different pharmaceutical companies that are making billions of dollars off our legal addiction to drugs. Well, what did they say in Brave New World? They'd have this out. Drugs would be out, and that's how they keep the populations quiet and subdued when they would not, in a natural state, be quiet and subdued. They'd be angry, very angry, at the conditions they're forced to live in. But no, you, you pop the drugs there and uh, you can kind of float through another day, you know, another day. It says, um, according to the CDC, the percentage of Americans that say that they have taken a prescription drug within the last month has risen to almost 50%. Uh, the percentage of Americans that say they've taken two or more prescription drugs within the last month has risen to 31%. And the percentage of Americans say that they have taken five or more prescription drugs within the last month has risen to 11%. If you can believe the CDC also says that approximately 9 out of every 10 Americans that are at least 60 years of age say that they've taken at least one prescription drug within the last month. According to the Wall Street Journal, more than 25% of all children and teens in the U.S. take prescription drugs on a regular basis. And a lot of them now, 20% are on ones for so-called psychiatric or behavioral disorders, and that's increasing too. Eventually we'll all be on them. And we'll have to pay for it too by order of our masters. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix just before we go to the callers. And just to mention the fact, as I said at the start of this broadcast, we adapt, don't we ever? We adapt, don't we? And we still think we're all the same, living in the same countries when we've turned 180 degrees from where we were before, without noticing. She got off all those prescription medications, maybe. Now, there's Daniel from the UK hanging on there. Are you there, Daniel? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? I can, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, you know, seeing this bloke spray those people uh, with a pepper spray the other day, um, you know, what, what they overlooked in the article I read was... Um, See, I think he was told to do that, but um, I noticed more that the colleagues all stood around watching. And, um, you know, because when people say, oh, there's always a few that spoil it for the rest. Well, that's why I tar them all with the same brush, because, um, mm-hmm. you know, had he been the minority, um, you'd have expected a couple of decent coppers to walk over, take yeah. that off him and say, what do you think you're doing? But um, it doesn't happen. Um, and that's why... Uh, I don't subscribe to this notion that, you know, uh, there's always a few, a minority, when it goes, it's not logical because you call it a system, well, a system's made up of constituent parts, but they have to be homogenous, don't they? You can't have a dishonest government 
coming out with dishonest laws are then enforced by honest people. Do you, right. you see? And um, right. so that's why I, I feel comfortable saying that they are all the same because they have to be. Yeah, they, they, they are. They wouldn't fit into the system if they were honest. Yeah, they couldn't actually. This book's been written, I know, in Canada here by politicians who tried it for the first time, uh, got into um, provincial government here. One of them wrote a book about it. He said, he said they were all cutthroats, and, and he said uh, they tried to get him into the same things that they were doing, like skimming the, uh, the, the taxpayers' purse for their ex- extra expenses, padding all their accounts. He wouldn't go along with what they were into, and he said he got out before they set him up, he says, because they turned on him. See, if you're honest and you walk into these these uh, bunch of characters, uh, they have to get rid of you if you won't join them. And they try and, and coach you in, get be one of the boys as fast as possible so they can trust you, you see. Yeah. And that's really how it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. And what you said the other day is um, these psychopaths, I've noticed, it's like you say, they, 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 don't, they, always, they, they inherently prey on the weak and they're very quick at recognising another equal threat like um, another psychopath and yeah. they're good at um, teaming up with them but what I was saying about the uh, police was um, I always wondered why there was a two year probation period because I thought a, a lot of police I've met they can't actually spell they're very of a very low intellect and I thought well what do they do for two years and I think what it is is they just um, they assess their character to see if they're one of them to see if they fit yeah. in they keep their mouths shut they do yeah. as they're told they turn a blind eye. I can't think what else it must be. Uh, you know, what do you think it's about? It is actually, they do get assessed for a long period of time because uh, the cops rely upon closing ranks uh, when something's happened. If they beat someone up and, and they die, for instance, they want to make sure everyone is on board with them uh, so they can get all their, all their books straight. And they can't have anybody who, who, who will possibly break or hesitate uh, uh, when they see something horrific happening. And, and I should admit it's the cops' fault. That, that, that will devastate them. So you're right. It's a weeding process to find out the ones who might rat on, on them because they're honest. They're too honest for the job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Right, Alan, thanks very much. And thanks for calling. Yeah. But you take care. That's the world that we live in, folks. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me. Your God, all your gods go with you. And hopefully I'll be back on Monday.